0: you are listening to the light of today with the powerful life-changing word of christ that heals delivers transforms and fills you with the holy spirit let god's truth burst forth into your heart stay tuned to the light of today with chris palmer
1: Anachronism. Don't even try and write it down. I'll just you can write it down like this. Okay, imposing modern categories, labels, and institutional structures, um, biblical features, in an effort to make the Bible address them. Uh, easy. What is what is that? What is that I'm talking about? Okay, let me give you an example. Taking things that are popular today and reading them right back into the Bible. <laughs> Mark six 30, 32 I'll read it to you the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all they had done and taught Jesus says let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat So they left the, by the boat for a quiet place where they could be alone Anachronism would be someone that takes this passage of scripture and starts saying that the disciples had ministry burnout Ministry burnout Concept today the disciples were so tired that people coming and going that this is an example of people in the ministry who have ministry burnout. And there's nothing in this passage that suggests they had ministry burnout. There's nothing in this passage that even says yes, they were burned out. They had a lot of people coming and a lot of people going, but burnout... Or ministry burnout or work burnout or career burnout means that you become detached, you become uh, exhausted and emotionally unable to function because you're tied up in your job and, you know, you don't want to socialize, you don't want to do this. There's nothing in the scripture that says the disciples were like that. Well, you know, they had to go off with Jesus. Yes, they missed one meal. They didn't miss 50 meals. They missed one meal, Sean. That's it, one meal because they were feeding people. That Jesus says, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's time to go. It's not ministry burnout, right? So before you start labeling it as burnout, just make sure that you find out exactly how many meals they missed. One, they had people coming. Anyone ever? Had, you know what I would think it was? A busy day. <laughs> they had a busy day. You just said if we keep going, it's never going to end. We got to cut it off somewhere. You find out that preaching everything that's good, you just you can't really wait for an end. You just kind of have to cut it off and go. You know, a good conversation. You just kind of oh, this is a great conversation. I got, I got, I gotta go. I, 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 gotta, go. I, I gotta go. I, I gotta go. I gotta go. You've been on the phone with okay, it's been great, got to go, bye. You almost had to hang up on that person. This wasn't burnout. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, how about this? Oh, how about this one? Time frame fallacy. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Please don't throw stones at me when I tell you this. I'm going to step on, I had to accept this myself. Okay, it's true. Oh, it's true. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to everyone who believes The Jew first and also the Greek. The word there, power, is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite. It's an explosive dynamite stick of power. Now hold on. Er, Slow the car down just one second here. Dynamite was invented in 1856. The man who invented dynamite got a Nobel Peace Prize because it was used for the excavation of caves. Now, that's about 1,800 years after Paul. So was Paul thinking of dynamite? when he wrote this? Well, you know, he had the Holy Ghost and by the Spirit he was thinking of dynamite. (laughs) Okay, you win. When people give him those answers, I say, you win, you win, you win. He wasn't thinking of dynamite. You know, the word dunamis, all it really means in the Greek. The only thing it really means in the Greek is ability. That's all it really means. Now, it's something to be said for why the person who term dynamite, dynamite, chose that Greek word. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I've been preaching it that way a long time. I might still continue to preach it that way because you understand what I'm talking about here. It is powerful. The gospel has power to it. You're not going to go to hell for preaching it that way. But listen here, people. Understand. He wasn't thinking about a stick of dynamite like the the coyote and roadrunner used to blow each other apart, right? Acne. (laughs) (laughs) The gospel. No. And it brings me to my next point: overloading a Greek word. <laughs> Doing take a Greek word and make it mean everything we think it should mean. The Greek word for this means is this what he had in mind? No, no, stop. I'm guilty, but I think we can draw good applications. But and and understand, I've I've made Greek words, and but I study it, so I can you know I'm okay. You know I just I'm not the head of you guys. I'm just
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Let me give you an example. Jordan found the spring. Jordan found the spring. What did I just say? Jordan found the spring. What did I just say? Okay, what did I what did what did I mean? Elaborate. Jordan found the spring. Tell me what you thought I meant. Maybe
0: it was lost.
1: What was lost? The spring. What is a spring?
0: Water or a spring for a wire? what were you thinking of, Emily?
1: A wire coil. a wire coil. Sean, what were you thinking? ah spring of water who was thinking water raise your hand okay okay who was thinking a coil that that bends raise your hand oh my gosh okay did anybody think uh uh that i was talking about um found his spring like jump maybe that's a word for spring right what about the season spring jordan found the spring he was looking for summer but he found the spring when he walked outside the door Jordan was hibernating. Jordan found the spring when he got outside. He got four different meanings of the word. So how do we, how do we determine what it means? Thank you, Emily. Context. What if I said to you, <laughs> Jordan had been playing baseball all day. He was so hot. He was tired. And he went for a walk. And Jordan found the spring. And he was so happy, he took his shoes off and his socks off and took his hat and ran all the way down and jumped in. Ah, who would say it's water? Ah, but you know what, people? So, is it safe to say, ah, let me write this down, I've got to use this. Is it safe to say in not just the Bible, but how about in general rule of life, someone say context right. determines meaning. Am I right about that? You know what doesn't determine meaning? Getting out the Greek lexicon and jamming every th- word that possibly could mean into that Greek word. <laughs> well, the Greek word uh, here at uh, Spring uh, it means a coil and it means a, a water and it means to jump and it means a season. So this is how to read. Jordan found the season with the coil in the water when he jumped. <laughs> we get some very, very uh, ridiculous renderings of Scripture. How, do we, how, do we, how does this work out when we get to the, uh, the New Testament? I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Because in, in Greek, Greek students will tell you that taking a Greek word out, And just playing around with it is the surest way to mess the scripture up. Greek word studies have done more bad than they have good. Because it is no different from the English language. You need to know the context. That's why I always say to people, if you're very serious about the Bible and you plan to give your life to preaching it, if you're a Shakespearean guy, you're going to learn Shakespeare. You're going to learn Latin. It's good to learn Greek. If you can't, I know you don't have the time to do that, but at least, you know, but I'll tell you this, and I said this last week. When I started studying Greek, you know what kind of made me upset? When I started translating passages, it turned out to be what the King James said. I <laughs> thought I was going to get something else. This is very accurate, people. Look at the context around it, okay? You're not going to find something mysterious by studying a Greek word. Okay, Romans 10, 9 through 10. Okay, that if thou should confess with the mouth... Let me see, is this what I got on my notes here? Ah, yes, 10, 9 through 10. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believes on the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Greek word for salvation. Sozo. Greek word for salvation in the, uh, here. The Greek word for salvation looks like this. Sozo. Figure out i use some of my education here, okay. This word could mean many different things. It could mean prosperity. It could mean deliverance. It could mean healing. It could mean all sorts of things, right? So a lot of times you would do is they find every single meaning and they put it right into there. And now, all you have to do is confess through your mouth and all these things are going to be yours. Well, I, mean, I believe that there's something to be said about confessing with your mouth. I believe that you can confess things and bring possession. I believe Brother Hagin's message. I don't care what the people in the seminary say. I, that message is for, for sure. But, for our sake of exercise here, what does salvation mean in this passage of Scripture? How about when you read the surrounding context, it simply means that confession, through believing on Christ, means deliverance from God's wrath. what it means. It's what the context led us to believe it means. Can you confess with your mouth? Of course you can confess in healing scriptures and all that. I'm not saying against that, but I'm just saying for the exercise, if we were reading this, if we don't want to get stuck, find out what the word means based upon the context. Can someone say amen? Amen. And I believe whether you're willing to admit it or not, this is going to help you. (laughs) Um, Word, concept, fallacy, it simply means that just because you study the word itself means you know everything there is to know about the topic. Well, I study the word Ecclesia. Ek means out. Ecclesia means to call. The word the called out ones, well, there's the, the, more to the church than being the called out ones. And the word church is a Latin word anyway. So you have to find out more than just what the word means to understand the function of the church. Amen. Amen. Find out words said everywhere in the scripture. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, are we ready to do some exercises here? What time is it? Eight thirty. We got a half hour. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, open up your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter seven. And if you don't have an ESV, throw it away. I'm just eating. I'm just eating. Okay. Has this been okay for you guys tonight? Yeah. You know, I told you guys this is a Bible study, you know? Amen. Second yeah. Corinthians chapter seven. And uh, this is a lot of of Scripture. I I know some people here I don't ever see on Facebook, but I did put on Facebook that it would be good to become familiar with this passage of Scripture so that uh, I don't have to read 60 verses and take up 15 minutes of our time, which I'm not going to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. When you're studying the New Testament or the Old Testament or any passage of Scripture that you would like in particular, Uh, You can't study the whole Bible all at once, right? So you have to kind of break it up. Am I right? So what you want to do is find a target scripture. Find the target passage of scripture that you are trying to, we'll say the word, crack. You're trying to find out what the scripture means, okay? In our sake, we're going to use a familiar one. And that is 2 Corinthians Chapter, uh, let's see here, 8, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 10. I'm going to read it to you. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that ye have in all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. As it's written, He distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. He who applies seed to the sower, bread for fruit, Will harvest and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. How many have heard that in offerings before? Mm -hmm. Someone say amen if you've heard it. How many practice that scripture when you're giving? I'm not here to challenge that because it is very much so applicable. I don't want to surprise you and think I'm going to shock you by saying that it means something that it doesn't. It means what it means. What I'm here to do is maybe show you that it's more powerful than we think it is. Maybe it's possible that this verse means more than what we think it means. Maybe it means there's a lot more to it. Because when you say something, you find something right directly dead smack in the middle of a chapter. Can we determine that he said it for a reason? How about when we look at the book of 2 Corinthians? Is this book about giving? It's not. It mentions giving. He didn't write 2 Corinthians because he wanted you to give. He wrote Second Corinthians for a whole other reason. And we're going to see part of that tonight. But if someone wrote me a letter, and I get a letter in the mail, I say, oh, this letter's from uh, Jordan. What does he want? I open up the letter. Hello, Chris. Uh, this is Jordan writing to tell you uh, that uh, I enjoyed your Bible study. Uh, thank you for having it, Jordan. Well, he wanted to thank me for the Bible study. So he had a reason for writing a letter. Has anyone ever written a letter for no reason? If the visa writes you a letter, you, you might be in trouble. They're looking for their money. Those creditors always write those letters, right? I thought mail was fun to get until I got a credit card. No, I'm just <laughs> you know when I was a kid, I used to love to get mail. Now I now I get I open a mailbox and there's mail. I think, oh no,
0: <laughs>
1: oh no more mail. Oh Jesus, I gotta go home and check the mail. Oh <laughs> damn that's real. Is that real? <laughs> so why did he write Second Corinthians? Well, when you open up a book, find out why. They wrote this book. Why? For what purpose did Paul write 2 Corinthians? That is a good place to start. Okay? Then find out something about the Corinthians. Who are these people? Who are the Corinthians? Then you might want to find some geography. Where are the Corinthians? Where is Corinth at? I know that not everyone has time to do this, but some people do. You might like to do this. Who wants to do this if they had time? Raise your hand. Okay. Who are the Corinthians? Why? How do they know Paul? You'll find out that the Corinthians, Corinth is located in a, 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 a region called Achaia. Ahia is southern Greece. It's over there right, the little island off of Greece. It's a big island. and Corinth, is a city in that place. I was near it. Never went to it, but I was near it. And they are called Ahia. It's a region. It's not a place. And the Corinthians are not Jews. They're Greeks. And this church was started by the Apostle Paul somewhere in maybe 42 A.D. So now you have an understanding of who these people are in the relationship to the apostle Paul. He is their apostle. He is the one that can speak into their lives. And so if he is their apostle, if he is their pastor and their man of God is Paul, what kind of relationship is it? How about it's emotional? How about it's well it's heart it's heartfelt. It would be different if perhaps uh, John was writing to the Corinthians, because John didn't find them, and John's not their apostle. But it would be different if the Apostle Paul, who found them, is writing not the first letter, a second letter to them. So now we have immediate emotion involved in this letter. We have immediate concern. Whatever he says, every word is not going to be... He didn't mince words. He's really trying to say something to this church. And how about he's writing of importance, right? So now we have a good place to start. And so... To understand, I always say, a commentary is your last place to go. I encourage commentaries. They are needed. You don't know the history without looking it up. You don't know the background without looking it up. And you're not going to be able to figure it out. And you need experts to help you piece it together until you become one. But before you go there, let's become like Sherlock Holmes and detect certain things. Make observations, okay? So the very first thing that we want to do is we want to write a chapter summary. First thing we do that we take a a, a chapter is 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9 is we read it four or five times until you become familiar with it. So I said last week you should read the chapter enough to be able to tell the person you're next to what it's about. What's 2 Corinthians 7 about? What's 2 Corinthians 8 about? What's 2 Corinthians 9 about? Hello? Right? After you do that you should do one of two things. You can either write up a paraphrase about it Or you can make an outline about it. And I'm going to read my paraphrase a little bit later. The next thing that you want to do is you want to go through and you want to start making observations and you want to start asking questions about it. And let's not make obvious observations and let's not ask obvious questions. Let's really, in the next few minutes, try to ask some very intriguing questions about this, okay? How about we do that? Is that okay with the 30 minutes that we have left? Would that be okay? Okay, I'm gonna read it in the ESV, and I'll show you how I re- arrived at my conclusion. And I think that uh, someone say observations, observations, and someone say questions. questions. Now you now need to make good observations and you need to ask good questions because the next thing you're gonna do after this is you're gonna find cross references, correlations, scriptures that say the same thing, right? So let's go through this. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse one: Since we have these promises. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This seems like the word since is connected to something before that, right? Okay. But it seems here that when you use the word since, are you beginning or concluding a thought? Sounds like he's concluding. There you go. He's concluding. So when you see the word since, this is a place to know that he's probably concluding a thought. So, this is how I knew to begin, not at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I think 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 should go under 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Because the thought is really beginning here in 2 Corinthians 7 verse number 2. And the Apostle Paul says here, make room in your hearts for us. Do we have any observations we can make just from this one simple scripture? Well, first of all, he says us. Who is he talking about? You would write that down on a piece of paper. Who is us? And then he says, make room in your hearts for us. Wait a second. How about we ask this? Is there not already room in their hearts? Picture your pastor right now writing to you. You've been under him. You've sat with him. You've been with him for a long time. You think that he knows and thinks that you like him. Then all of a sudden he writes to you and says, will you make room in your heart for me? Seems like an odd statement. What if I call Brett tomorrow on the phone or send him a text and said, Brett, please make room in your heart for me. Chris, I come to your Bible study and set up every week. Set the speakers up. Set the Christmas tree up. Char, please make room in your heart for me. Why? Well, Chris, I put the bulbs on the tree. Is that not enough for you? And then he says, we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. You now It sounds like the Apostle Paul is explaining himself. Is it possible that Paul has offended these people You know what happens now in our pre-understanding? No. No, uh uh-uh. New Men of God, apostles, they don't offend people. He's Paul. He can't offend people. People can't be mad at Paul. He's Superman. Wait a second. What did I say? Take your understanding, throw it out the door. Not in this classroom. Amen. Oh, it sounds like Paul has got himself into a jam. And we're going to find out he did. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before... That you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Sounds like pretty strong language now. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. Now, Sean, we see repetition of words. Great, great. Should be telling you that everything here is demonstrative. Right? I'm filled with comfort. In all of our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. So let's ask another question. What affliction does he have? What affliction are they experiencing? Are we here tonight? Yeah. Okay, see how we're asking questions? For even when we came into Macedonia, okay, now this tells you where he's at. He's in Macedonia. And he's writing to the Corinthians. So you would need to know for the sake of your understanding, where is Macedonia in relation to Corinth? Macedonia is right up near Bulgaria. And where the Corinthians are at is at the bottom of Greece. So we're now looking at probably a 12 to 13 hour drive by car. Maybe six, six, five, 500 miles maybe? 400 miles? I don't know, six, something like that. Hundreds of miles. It's not around the world, but it's near. But back then it was weeks of travel. Our bodies had no rest, but we at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Fear within. The apostle and his mates had fear within? This doesn't sound like big faith man talk? Well, there's no fear in me. Well, Paul says, I have fear within. (laughs) What are we going to do with that? We're we're not going to preach that. How about we find out what kind of fear he's talking about? But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So he's downcast, but yes, he is downcast. So a good question is, Why did the coming of Titus comfort the downcast? Who's Titus? What kind of questions could we start filling out right now? Who's Titus? Why did his coming comfort them? What kind of fear was it when he's downcast, but a guy that shows up can now comfort them? You see, now if you're filling out a chart, you have all these questions, and you're only at verse number 7. And guess what? You find a lot about by trying to answer these questions. And not only his coming, but... Also the comfort with which he was comforted by you. Oh, we're starting to see repetitious words here now. Comfort, comfort, comfort. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. Wait a second. Wait a second here. He was comforted as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal. How did he know their longing and their zeal? Are you guys here tonight? How did he? Wait a second. Here comes Titus. Paul's all sad. Oh pensive? Just having bad. Afflictions without fears within. And here comes Titus. Titus says, Hey Paul! Paul! Oh, no, Titus, don't worry, I'm sad. But Paul, I got the Corinthians. They long to see you. They got seal. They're happy. And Paul says, huh? what? what? They're happy. They're enthused. They, 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 they rejoice still the more. They're not down. They're not down down there. They're happy. Paul says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. So this, now wait, whoa, 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 whoa. He says that he made them grieve with a letter. So we just got a whole bunch of information on this. He had written to them another letter. Makes sense. It's the Second Corinthians. Now it tells you when he wrote 1 Corinthians, what happened after he wrote it. They got mad. So when you read 1 Corinthians, guess what? They didn't read it the way you read it. Love one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. That was a rebuke to them. Love is patient. Why aren't you patient? Love is kind. What's the matter with you, huh? Why are you all speaking in tongues like that? They got mad, upset. And guess what Paul says? For I made you grieve with my letter, I did not regret it, though I did regret it. You mean that when Paul sent 1 Corinthians, he later regretted sending it? Yes. Wow. And now you can see why Paul is saying, make room in your hearts for me. Make room in your hearts for me. I didn't. I didn't mean to do you any wrong. So, you could put this together, but I'll give it to you because... Now, I've studied this passage. Paul made what he thought was a mistake when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians another letter that he sent to them. So, 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is 3 Corinthians and you'll find out in 2 Corinthians that if he this isn't 1 Corinthians, this is 4 Corinthians. But for the sake of not being too deep, I believe that First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, because he does mention another letter in the sixth chapter, fifth chapter, that he wrote before First Corinthians. But most scholars will tell you this severe letter he's talking about with where they did become regretful was indeed First Corinthians. And the apostle Paul wrote the book of First Corinthians because they had questions that they had written to him concerning things, and Paul, being their apostle, also felt that there were some problems going on in that church. You'll find that they were taking each other to court something believers should not do. There, there was a fornicator in that church that they did not want to correct. Sounds like some of the churches today. And Paul put that man on blast and told him to kick him out of the church. God forbid. Paul rebuked him in a lot of different areas, the way they used their spiritual gifts, the way they used tongues. And in the 16th chapter, which is going to be important that we see, you'll find in 16 verse 1, you'll find out that Paul, after all that rebuking, told him to take up all, suggested that they take up an offering for the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. And he sends the letter and he sends a guide to take it, one of his lieutenants that we now know as Titus, who ended up his ministry career in Crete on an island pastoring the people of Crete. And that's where we find Titus and he was supposed to meet Paul in Mysa before the winter time. We don't know if he got there. or, or In Dalmatia, excuse me which is modern-day Croatia. So, he sent Titus down there, and when he sends the letter, he starts having regret like, "Oh my god, should I send that letter?" And now he has fears within. Oh, he's not afraid of the dark and spiders, going on <laughs> roller coasters. He's afraid that the church he started was going to become insubordinate and turn their back on them, on him, and give way to false teachers. And he was afraid for their sake. Ah! Makes sense now, right? Yeah. So see, we can be afraid. I'm afraid of last day. I'm afraid I'm going to die one day. Paul's well, not talking about the fear of death. It's the fear of when you've poured your life into somebody and started a church. Yeah. And you love those people and pray for those people. And now you think that rebellion's gotten into their heart because you try to do what God told you to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's good that we deal with these things. As I rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved unto repenting. So I'm not rejoicing that I sent a letter. I'm I'm, I'm happy now because Titus told me you repented. You didn't do that. You repented. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. For what? So you see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So Paul's saying that you're going through all this, but look what is produced inside of you. Look at why I'm heavy Because I sent the letter God told me to send, and even though I regretted it, it's produced inside of you godly grief. And now you yourselves are, are longing, and and, 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 and and you don't have to go through punishment. I'm happy now. I did the right thing. It caused months of being anguished, but I did the right thing. And so although I did right to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong. Not for the sake of one who suffered the wrong. But in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Who was the one that did the wrong? Them. Who were the ones that suffered the wrong? Paul. What wrong did he suffer? They were insubordinate to him for some time. Hence why Titus had to go down there and we'll see a second time. Therefore we are comforted and there's our word comfort again. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still the more in the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Now look at this. Look at how many times. Let's implement some things here. Grief. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. The word grief is used eight times from verse eight unto verse ten. In two verses, he uses the same word eight times. What well, if you said, I, I got to go to the store because at the store I'm going to find my favorite shaving cream at the store and I have to go to the store because I have to buy it at the store because I'm, my favorite shaving cream is at the store. How many would think I'm talking about the store? <laughs> well, they're no different. Paul's talking about grief. But he was talking about comfort. So it's safe to say that chapter 7 is really talking about grief and comfort in Paul's ministry and the lives of the Corinthians. Right? Not giving. Was this giving stuff coming along? Are we okay tonight? Is this, is this... Is anybody learning anything in here? Yes. Okay. So, therefore, and besides this... Now, 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 watch this now. This is where the switch is going to happen. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still the more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you. Oh, so his spirit was refreshed by them. So Titus knew who they were. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. So... We're getting a picture now, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting before Titus has proved true, and his affection for you is even greater. As he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him without fear and trembling, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So now we see Titus. He remembers them. He came back and told Paul about them, and Paul was happy that the way he felt. So it seems like Titus has been there before. He remembers. He reported sounds like he was there and he was because he carried the letter of 1 Corinthians to them and so guess what who do you think they know Titus so if they know Titus if Paul had to write another letter to them who do you think he's going to send to them to, get, to take the letter and he did you'll find that 2 Corinthians was delivered to the Corinthians by the hands of Titus alright We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Oh, the churches of Macedonia, you mean where he's at right now? What are the churches of Macedonia? You guys know them. Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. Ah, so the people he wrote Philippians to he's talking about? Yep. Ah, wait a second. So the people that, that he talks about in the book of Thessalonica, yep. And you'll find out that one of the people mentioned in the book of Thessalonians went down to the church at Corinth. So you mean all these people knew each other? They had ideas about each other? Yes, they did. Alright. For in a severe test of affliction... They're in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of great joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Wait a second. It says they're in a severe test of affliction. What test of affliction are they in? Remember we talked about general to specific? Do you think he's going to be more specific about this? In their severe poverty. Ah, but their poverty. Do you mean churches had poverty? Yes, they did. But they've overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Oh, So wait a second, wait a second. Are we seeing here that poverty doesn't mean, even if you're impoverished, does that give you an excuse not to be generous? What does it say about people that have money, that are not impoverished? Do they have an excuse to not have generosity? How much all the more, right? Okay, let's move this through. We've got to go quicker. For they gave according to their means. Oh, wait a second. They gave according to their means. You mean they didn't call 1-800, call the preacher and empty their bank account on them? (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: and I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. Oh, of their own accord. You mean they didn't have someone pressuring them to give and telling them if you give, you're going to get this in the mail and you're going to do that in the mail. No. They, in their own poverty, in their own willingness, says, we want to give. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. For they gave a. Okay. They gave according to their means begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging. I beg you foolish Galatians that you give me your eyes and let me pluck them out. Strong speech here. Why would they beg Paul to be part of the giving unless Paul told them no? And he did. Because of their severe affliction and poverty. Paul says... You guys can't give to the church at Jerusalem. You don't have any money for yourselves. And they says, Paul, we want to give. They were enthusiastic. Paul says, Fine, give. You go ahead and give. Now watch this. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. How do you give yourselves to the Lord? What does that look like? I'm gonna give myself to the Lord. What does that even look like? These are questions you can figure out. Well, God, I'm giving myself to you. What does that mean? Are you guys here tonight? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay if we run just a little bit over I'm mean, not I can hold you too. Yeah. And then by the will of God to us. Accordingly we urge Titus that as, he st- that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Wait a second. Complete among you this act of grace. What act of grace should Titus complete among them? So where is Titus? Titus is now back in the picture. What act of grace? Wait a second. Well, now we're talking about grace. Here we go back to our principle. Are you guys confused? Are you guys follow me? Remember we talked about Greek words? The, the Greek word for grace is charis. And the Greek word for charis means uh, a lot of things. It's unmerited, unearnable favor. It's one of the definitions for it. It doesn't mean every time you use the word grace, that's what it means. <laughs> you can't jam it in there if it's not talking about unmerited, unearnable favor. So every time you see the word grace, you pull it out and put in favor. That's not what it always means. In this case, the word grace is just re- referring to giving. That's all it means. So he's saying about the grace of God, the, the ability of God to give. So grace, clearly, we're going to see in just a second, in these chapters means to give. Am I helping you guys understand this Okay, so the grace they should complete among you in this act of giving. Oh wait, so the Corinthians need to finish something they started. But as you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you. Oh, there's a list. Remember we talked about identifying lists? There's a list we could figure out. See that you excel in this act of grace or giving also. So basically he's saying that, um, now watch this. I say this not as a command. Hold on, now Paul takes his apostolic authority. Why did he not say it as a command? Everything else he's been, you know, Paul commands a lot of stuff. Why is he not commanding this now? Why is Paul saying this is not a command? There's got to be a good reason. Is this interesting to you tonight? Mm -hmm. Why did he not command it? We're going to see in just a second. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Oh, so you mean if Paul commanded them to give as an apostle and they gave, it wouldn't be genuine? That's exactly what I'm saying. You cannot command people to give offerings. You cannot manipulate the people to people give offerings, because you'll find out that instead of it being sincere, it'll be an exaction, a drudgery, and it won't be counted to God as worship or authentic. So you know what you can do it. You can you can invite people to give, but you can't demand them. Yeah. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Why did He? Why now? Why? Why is Jesus now? What does He have to do with this? Well. He's using two examples, we'll see. Remember we talked about lists? Here's a list paragraph to paragraph. You see the churches in Macedonia, and you see Jesus. Both were poor, both were able to give, and willing to give. In this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to do it. So now finish doing it so that your readiness and desire in it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay, look. jump down to verse number 14. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So, you're seeing here uh, cause and effect. As it is written, Who has much, had nothing left over, and whoever had gathered had no lack. Let's go to verse number 16. Now, this is where he's going to give you some history. But thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Titus is going back. With him, we are all sending the brother who was famous among the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Also, those famous preachers back then? Yep. So he's not only sending Titus, he's sending a famous preacher from Macedonia with Titus. Who is he? That's a good question. There's a debate about it. I don't know if we can probably really identify who he is, but we can sure have take good guesses at it. Chris Palmer. <laughs> and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to us. Oh, well, he keeps talking about grace. He's talking about giving even when you don't have money and even when you have a lot of money all right we take this course so that no one should be blame us about the generous gift that is being administered what course sending three people down for we aim at what is honorable not only in the lord's sight but also in the sight of men and with them we are sending our brother oh another brother's going down whom we have often tested and found earnest in many manners, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for you, and as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and our boasting about these men. Real quick, we're going to be done. Just a few minutes. Let me say this. This is what's going on. Apostle Paul wrote them a letter. He upset them. Titus comes back. After delivering the letter, he tells them, hey, listen, Paul, things went better than you think they received your letter and Paul says they did and Titus says they sure did I think that Titus was more of a hit than the letter and there's something to be said that many times God will not always use his apostle to fix things he'll use humble servants I think they like Titus I don't think they like Paul (laughs) I think Titus had a way of smoothing things over and then you know what happened Titus comes back he tells Paul about how things went. And Paul says, but you know what? Now we have a problem. The problem is this. We're going to find out in the first verse that. Well, let's go to verse number nine. Here's the problem. Now, keep this in mind. Paul and Titus are having a conversation. This is why he wrote the letter to 2 Corinthians. Part of why he wrote it. Now, it's superfluous, which means it's, not, it's advantageous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since the last year. Now, what did I say about identifying synecdoche in Scripture that means part for a whole? Who is Achaia? Remember, the White House has issued a statement. Who is the White House? Can the White House issued a statement? It's Obama. Well, Haya is not talking about all the people in that area. It's talking about the church in haya Right? Okay, so he's saying the churches have decided that they um, they've been... He told the people that in Macedonia that the churches in Greece have been ready to give this offering for a year. And look what he says when he told the church in Macedonia that they were taking up an offering there in Corinth. It says, the zeal has stirred them up. So Paul goes to Macedonia and says, even while he's upset about them, he says, I told them to take up an offering for the church of Jerusalem. And they said, well, we want to do it too. We want to take up offering. If the church at Corinth is doing it, we want to take this offering up. And Paul says, well, settle down, you guys are poor. No, 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 no. Jesus was poor and he gave. We're poor, we want to give too, Paul. Okay. He said, well, then go on and give. And all these excited Macedonians start taking what they can and giving and giving. Paul's like, I have nothing to do with this. This is God. You know, the, the, you go to church services, you see people, this, the Spirit of God starts moving. They start heaping up offerings. This is the move of God. Don't stop it. People just feel led to give. All these Macedonians feeling led to give, feeling led to give, feeling led to give. And Paul says, This is great, this is great. But then he finds out when Titus gets back. Yep, things are great down there, Paul. They all love you. There's a problem. They stop giving. Because well, you could find later in, in chapter 4, the false teachers came in and told him that Paul lines his pockets with the money you give him. That's what happened. So they stopped their giving, and Paul's like, Well, this is just great. I got all these happy Macedonians giving up money. All these happy Macedonians giving because they think the Corinthians are giving. And now they're going to go down there with me to pick it up and find out they're not even ready to give the offering. (laughs) And guess what? The Macedonians are going to look at Paul and be like, you lied to us. What is this money really for, Paul? And the Corinthians are going to say, wait, are you taking money from them? And Paul's in a jam. So what happens? He says, well, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said I would be with you. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So Paul is saying, we're all about, this is going to be a big mess. I'm trying to stop a train wreck here. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gifts you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not an exaction. I'm almost done. This is what Paul says. If I come down there and you find out the mess that we're all in, you're all going to give, and it's not going to come from your hearts. He says, so I'm going to send brothers ahead of you to give you a kick in the pants. Take up this offering. You take up this offering, take it up, so that when they get down there, it's not an exaction. Oh, so we see a strategy now going involved. Is it safe to say that the apostolic enterprise is more than just good preaching? It also requires good organizational skills and people skills? Then we find out that Paul says, the point is this. If you give sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Give according as you've decided in your heart. We just read that verse. So now we've seen why he said it. He said it to let them know there are three brothers that are coming to you. They're trying to get you out of this jam. To finish the offering that was taken up in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. They're going to get there before me. I'm coming down with some of the people from Macedonia. When we get there, we're going to pick up this offering. We're going to carry it to Jerusalem. Now, when those brothers come down there, particularly Titus, you like Titus. I've given you two chapters of why you like Titus. When Titus gets there, treat him respectably. Receive the two men. And out of your own hearts, give. And remember, when you decide what's in your heart to give... That Jesus did not sow sparingly. The Macedonians did not sow sparingly. They had abundance. You have abundance. You should not sow sparingly. Because look what he says. He says this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. But also overflowing in the thanksgiving of God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace which is upon you, the giving. Thanks be unto God for this inexpressible gift. So what he's basically saying is this, is when you give, there will be a positive outcome. You're going to give and you're going to be blessed. And the saints in Jerusalem, when they receive your gift, will remember you in their hearts and pray for you. So, after you do this, ask the questions. You take them apart. You guys see how this? we did this? Yeah. All your questions that you have, you put answers to them. And then you draw a final conclusion. You make an application. What can we apply from this? I'm almost done. We can make applications for this. Number one, how about chapter? how about we look at chapter one? Can anybody think of an application for chapter one? Chapter one. How about this: that even though we have to correct people, and it may grieve us if we correct them, and we see fruit in their lives, that fruit will negate the grief of having to discipline that person. It's a pretty good application, right? It's a good starting point. How about chapter two, when we learned about the Apostle Paul sending Titus down there? Is it safe to say that in chapter two, uh, in chapter chapter two, excuse me, chapter eight and chapter nine? That, like I said before, apostolic ministry requires good organizational leadership. How about that our poverty is not an excuse for us not to give? All applications we can draw. Now, does that scripture, let me ask you this. Now that we've asked questions about that scripture, put together applications, we could find other scriptures. Does that scripture make any sense now to people differently? Raise your hand if you think that makes a little bit of difference. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to be around here afterwards to ask questions. If you want to ask questions, if you've been trying to do Bible study, maybe you need help with it, maybe you've been trying at home and it's been difficult for you, I'll be here to ask your questions. Amen? I don't want to keep you guys here too long tonight, but that will conclude our study. Did you enjoy tonight?
0: Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Walled Lake, Michigan, 48390 or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly, so make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to The Light of Today with Chris Palmer. Now that you've heard The Light of Today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390 or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly, so make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to The Light of Today with Chris Palmer.